Welcome to the Heights Sermon Series Podcast, where each week you'll hear a new message that'll help you with your life shaped by the Word. Let the church say amen. amen. Didn't the choir do an excellent job? Let's give them a hand. I almost ran up here. I wanted to start preaching while they were singing. I almost ran up here while they were singing, but I had to hold myself back. But uh, they, did a, they did an excellent job. And, and you notice many of the songs that they sang dealt with uh, the holiness of God. And I think that's so important to talk about today. You know, in today's days and times, it seems like, you know, we've lost, and I say we, I'm just talking about in general, kind of lost a reverence for God in some ways. You know, God, we've become so familiar with God that he's become our friend and our buddy. I mean, and and he is our friend, but we also should have a reverence for God as well and recognize who he is. Amen. Amen. And so uh, today we're going to talk a little bit about that. So are we ready? (laughs) So today we're going to continue our uh, preaching series that Randy has started on the uh, Ten Commandments. And we've been looking at uh, Exodus, the 20th chapter. And so let's go to Exodus, the 20th chapter. And we've been reading all 17 verses there that deal with the Ten Commandments. So we're going to go to Exodus, second book in the Old Testament, 20th chapter. And I'm going to look at all, read all 17 verses. But the focus is going to be on the third commandment about not taking the name of the Lord in vain. So let's go to Exodus, the 20th chapter. And we're going to read uh, the first 17 verses there. It reads as follows. And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, For the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. And our message is going to focus on that that text. Continuing on, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shall thy labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou nor thy son nor thy daughter, thy manservant nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. That means set it apart or sanctified it. Verse 12. Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, it's again, Lord, we just thank you, Lord, for the blessed, blessed 
blessed opportunity, Lord, to stand here this morning, Lord, as we prepare to deliver thy holy and thy most precious word. Again, the uh, Apostle Paul said, for though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me, yea, woe is me, if I preach not the gospel. And uh, Paul also said, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. So, Lord, as we stand here together as pastor and people, Lord, we just ask, Lord, for the filling and the anointing of your Holy Spirit upon us, Lord. And I ask and pray that the words that come forth from out of my mouth, Lord, that they would not be mine, Lord, but I ask and pray that they might be yours. For we are not here for form or fashion, Lord. We are not here to glorify ourselves, but we are here to lift up your name, that wonderful, magnificent, awesome, precious, and just glorious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. So I ask right now, Lord Jesus, that you would strengthen me, Lord, that you would use me, and help me to lift up your name. In Jesus Christ's precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Our message for this morning is entitled, God's name is worthy to be praised. God's name is worthy to be praised. Now as we move on to this third commandment in our preaching series here on the Ten Commandments. Amen. Whoa, that's a message right there. (laughs) Get ready. (laughs) So as we move on to this third commandment, we're told not to take the name of the Lord in vain. And as we look at this commandment, one question that may come to mind is what exactly does this commandment mean? For at first glance, this commandment seems to say, watch your mouth. Don't swear. Or at the very least, make sure you say, oh, my goodness, instead of, oh, my God. Isn't that usually a lot of times what we think of when we think of that commandment? And, And don't get me wrong, that is definitely important, for God's name is high and God's name is holy. And therefore, we shouldn't carelessly or mockingly use his name. For we are living in a day and age where it seems like there is no respect for the Lord. As it says in Romans, there is no fear of God before their eyes. And it often starts with how we use his name. However, I also believe that this commandment is referring to something more than the verbal expression of his name. For example, the scripture says in Deuteronomy 28, 58, that we are to fear this glorious and fearful name, the Lord thy God. And what exactly does the Lord mean when he says that we are to fear his name? In today's, that's right, respect it, amen. In today's Western culture, we usually don't give much significance to someone's name. However, in biblical times, names were vitally important. For one's names frequently spoke of their character. One's name frequently spoke of their makeup. One's name was often a description of who they were. And therefore, when we see God's name used in Scripture, it represents more than just the sounding of consonants and vowels. But his name speaks of his majesty. His name speaks of his holiness. His name speaks of the reverential fear and honor we should have for the almighty God. As David said in the eighth Psalm, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens. And he went on to say in the 20th Psalm, 
Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. And church, that's why if we truly love the Lord, we will have a reverence for the name of Yahweh and give it the highest of all honors. For we need to realize that God's name is worthy to be praised. Amen? His name is worthy to be praised. Now, as we look at our text for this morning, we see several reasons why we should honor the name of the Lord. So today we want to briefly take a look at three of these ways. First, let's go back to Exodus, the 20th chapter again, and look at that seventh verse again. Exodus 20, 20th chapter, seventh verse. And again, there it reads, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. So the first thing we see is that honoring God's name speaks to his glory and righteousness. Honoring God's name speaks to his glory and righteousness. Now, when we think of someone's name, their name embodies who they are. For instance, if someone mentions the name Rico, and if you know me, certain thoughts will come into your mind. Some good, maybe some bad, hopefully mostly good. But either way, if you know me, certain thoughts will enter into your mind if you hear the name Rico. For my name has associated with it a certain reputation. Well, it goes even a step further and actually much further when talking about our Lord's name. For his name represents his very essence. His name represents who he is. Psalms 29.2 says, Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. And the name that the Lord has given of himself more than any other in the scriptures, is Y-H-W-H in Hebrew, or Lord in all capital letters in our English Bibles. For instance, when the Lord revealed himself, when Moses and the Israelites were enslaved to Pharaoh in Egypt, in the sixth chapter of Exodus it says, the Lord, Y-H-W-H, said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I am Y-H-W-H. I appear to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, Y-H-W-H, I did not make myself known to them. Now this name, Y-H-W-H, was considered so sacred and so holy by the Israelites that over time they refused to pronounce it or even write it down. That's how much reverence they had for the Lord's name. And when vowels were added, that's when, how eventually we got the pronunciation Yahweh, which many scholars believe is the best pronunciation. And then the Latinization of that name is Jehovah. So Y-H-W-H equals Yahweh equals Jehovah equals Lord in all capital letters in our English Bibles. And this is the name that the Lord has given us of himself. Now this name Yahweh, and that's the name I'm going to use oftentimes, this name Yahweh is used over 6,000 times in the scriptures. And it essentially means I am or I will be. It describes God as the self-existent one. 
And keep in mind that this name was revealed to Israel at a time when they were enslaved. Thus the Lord was revealing to the Israelites through the name of Yahweh that he was the self-existent one who pays special attention to the cries of the oppressed and will do whatever it takes to liberate his covenant people. Thus, one of the outstanding characteristics of the name Yahweh is that the Lord is gracious and that he will liberate the oppressed, but he's also righteous and that he will crush the wicked and those who oppose him. And therefore, this is what we should think of when we hear the name Yahweh. For what the Lord is revealing through the name of Yahweh is that God is love, but he's also light. God is gracious, but he's also righteous. God is merciful, but he's also holy. You remember when the Lord first told Moses, Pharaoh through Moses to let his people go. In that fifth chapter of, Moses, that fifth chapter of Exodus, Pharaoh's response was, Who is the Lord? Who is Yahweh? that I should obey his voice and let Israel go. I do not know Yahweh, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. In other words, what we see in the books of, book of Exodus is that Pharaoh was challenging the name of Yahweh. And this was when Yahweh began to reveal his name and reveal his character. And therefore, what we see in God's confrontation with Pharaoh in the remaining chapters of Exodus is Yahweh revealing his name. For if you can continue on in the book of Exodus, after Pharaoh challenged the name of Yahweh, we see that nine plagues were sent upon Egypt. You remember that story. To command Pharaoh and the Egyptians to let Israel go. There is the plague of turning water into blood. The plague of frogs. The plague of lice. The plague of flies. Pestilence upon livestock. Plague of boils, plague of hail and fire, plague of locusts, darkness for three days. Yet Pharaoh and the Egyptians remained stubborn. They still refused to let Israel go. Therefore, Yahweh said he was going to send one more plague, the tenth and final plague, upon Pharaoh and Egypt. And he said that through this final plague, he would ensure that they let his people go. And what's interesting, if you take a close look at the scriptures, if you're a Bible nerd like I am, if you look at Exodus 6 through Exodus 14, you will see that seven times, and I don't believe that's a coincidence, seven times the Lord said that these plagues were sent so that the people would know that I am Yahweh. In other words, so they would know the name of the Lord. Thus, what we see is that one of the reasons why these plagues were sent and this confrontation with Pharaoh took place was so that everyone, the Israelites, the Pharaoh, the Egyptians, and all the world around them would come to know Yahweh and the name of the Lord. Psalms 106.8 says, He saved them for his name's sake, that he might make this mighty power known unto them. So now, in this final and tenth plague from Yahweh, he said that all the firstborn in the land must die. Now Yahweh showed his grace and that he provided a means for escape. For safety and salvation was available for everyone, the Egyptian as well as the Israelite, if they simply placed their trust in him. For Yahweh wanted life for everyone. But Yahweh also showed his righteousness. 
For the only way the Israelite or the Egyptian could be safe was they had to enter into the house and place the blood of a lamb upon their doorposts. And the Lord said when he saw the, the blood, he would pass over them when he killed the firstborn in the land. And think about that story. If you think about that story, it didn't matter how beautiful the house was. Didn't matter who was living in it. Didn't matter if it was Egyptian or an Israelite. There was no safety outside of the blood. For Yahweh said, from the firstborn of Pharaoh to the firstborn of the lowest maidservant, all would die outside of the blood. For God's eye was not on the house, but God's eye was on the blood. And church, this is a lesson for us when thinking about the name of Yahweh. For in the same way, all of our religious experiences, all of our church attendance, all of our church programs, all of our good works will accomplish nothing outside of the blood. For it doesn't matter if we're rich or poor, black or white, Hispanic or Asian, Jew or Gentile, preacher or deacon. The only way to be set free and escape God's judgment for sin is that blood must be shed for the sins of mankind. Amen? Blood must be shed for the sins of mankind. Hebrews 9.22 says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. But thanks be to God, we have one who shed his blood for us. Amen? Jesus Christ died on the cross for us, and he became our blood sacrifice. And therefore, if we apply his blood, we will be saved and forever set free. As it says in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. So today, let's take a quick look at the 12th chapter of Exodus and see how Jesus Christ is our true Passover lamb. So let's go to the, going to take a quick look, high-level look at the 12th chapter of Exodus. And I think we've got a table we're going to put up here as well for those who want to follow along. Quick look at the 12th chapter of Exodus, and we're going to see how Jesus Christ is our true Passover lamb. Now, if you look at that 12th chapter, first of all, if you look at the fifth verse, you see that the Passover lamb had to be without blemish, for only a perfect sacrifice could satisfy the requirements of a perfect God. Well, in the same way, Jesus is our perfect sacrifice. That's why Peter said that we were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. If you look at verses 3 and 6 of that chapter, the lamb was kept and inspected for four days before it was sacrificed to ensure that it was flawless. Well, in the same way, our Lord Jesus was thoroughly inspected for 33 years and found to be flawless or sinless. That's why even Pilate had to say, I find no fault in him. If you look at verse, at verse 6, it says that the lamb was killed on the 14th day of the month. And historians say that the Passover lamb was killed about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Well, think about our Lord Jesus. In the same way, the Gospels tell us that Jesus was crucified on the 14th day of the month. And what time did he die? 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Verse 8 says that the sacrificial lamb was roasted with fire. Well, in the same way, our Lord Jesus was roasted with fire. For he endured the fire of God's wrath for our sin. That's why he cried out from the cross, my God, my God, 
Why hast thou forsaken me? If you look at verses 7 and 22 in that chapter, verse 22 says that the lamb was killed at the foot of the door. And then blood was placed upon the upper doorpost and upon the side post. So in other words, there was blood at the head, blood at the feet, and blood at the sides. Well, you think about our Lord Jesus on the cross. He had a crown of thorns on his head. He had nails in his feet and nails in his hands. So there was blood at the head, blood at the feet, and blood at the sides. Then look at verses 12 and 13 of that chapter. Only the blood of the lamb would cause death to pass over them. For there was nothing that the Israelites or the Egyptians could do to be safe unless they applied the blood. Well, in the same way, only the blood of Jesus causes spiritual death to pass us by. As Romans 5, 9 says, much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. And church, that's why there is no other way to be set free and saved from the penalty of sin except applying the blood of our Passover lamb, Jesus Christ. And church, I'm here to tell you, there is power in the blood of Jesus. Amen? You know what that songwriter said, that blood reaches to the highest mountain, church. That blood flows to the lowest valley. That blood of Jesus, church, will give you strength from day to day, and it will never lose its power. We must apply the precious blood of Jesus Christ because of the holiness of Yahweh, for God's name is worthy to be praised. Amen? God's name is worthy to be praised. Amen. Amen. All right. Jesus Christ is that true Passover lamb, and we must apply his blood in order to be saved. All right. Let's go back to Exodus 27 again, 20th chapter, 7th verse, and let's look at it one more time. Exodus 27. And there it reads, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. So the first thing we saw is that honoring God's name speaks to his glory and righteousness. The second thing we see is that honoring God's name encourages us to live for his glory. Honoring God's name encourages us to live for his glory. Now, when our text talks about taking the name of the Lord in vain, the word vain means empty or or worthless. And therefore, we are forbidden to take the name of the Lord in a manner that is wicked, worthless, or for any wrong purposes. Now, that verb take, when it says take the name or do not take the name of the Lord in vain, the the word take is the Hebrew word nasah. And nasah actually means to carry or to bear. So it's not take like we think of taking something from someone, but the Hebrew word actually means to carry or to bear. And if we carry someone's name, that means we function as their representative. Therefore, if I am carrying or bearing someone's name, what I do actually represents them. Well, think about that. In the same way, if we are carrying the name of the Lord, If we say we are children of God, we need to realize the way we conduct ourselves not only represents us, but most importantly, we are representing God. 
And therefore, as we interact with others, people should come away with a high reputation of who God is because of the way that we conduct ourselves. Amen? And that's an awesome privilege as well as the awesome responsibility we have of carrying the name of the Lord. However, if we claim to carry his name, if we say we are children of God and we are living a life of sin, we are grossly misrepresenting who God is. And that's one of the meanings to carry God's name in vain. Therefore, a question we need to ask ourselves is, are we misrepresenting the name of God? Are we living our lives in such a way that people would not even know that we're children of God? And if so, we are carrying God's name in vain. 2 Timothy 2.19, the Lord knoweth them that are his, and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity, and iniquity is a sinful character. In other words, if we truly love the Lord, and keep in mind the purpose of these Ten Commandments, the purpose of the Ten Commandments is to show, is to love God as well as to love others. If we truly love God, we should have such a godly reverence for him, such a holy awe of him, such a healthy fear of him and his name, that it will make a difference in our daily walk because we want to correctly represent him, and that's the importance of rightly carrying his name. Now, that might be intimidating to some, to have the responsibility of carrying the name of the Lord. For we know we all fall short. Don't we all fall short sometimes? Anyone besides me? <laughs> we all fall short. None of us are perfect. All of us sin at times. But the good news is God knows about that and God already has a plan in place. Amen? And if we're truly carrying his name, if you have accepted Christ as your Savior, you have already been made holy. You have already been made righteous. You have already been set apart by God. Did you know that? And that's why Paul said in Romans 6, 2, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? That does not mean that we won't at times struggle with sin. We all struggle with sin. But sin will not rule over those who are truly carrying the name of Christ. Because we are now dead to sin, the Lord says we are carrying the name of Christ. Therefore, we should now live our lives accordingly. Amen? God has done the work for you. He has made you holy. He has made you righteous. And now he says, as a result, live your life accordingly. Amen? Make sense? Ephesians 4.1 says, walk worthy, walk worthy of the vocation, the high vocation where which you are called. You are an image bearer of the almighty God, that high vocation for which you have been called. Walk worthy of it. Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship. God is the potter, we are the clay. For we are his workmanship 
created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. In other words, because we are his workmanship, the Holy Spirit has already turned us from darkness to light, from death to life, from sin to holiness. Because we have been given the name of Christ, we have undergone a complete transformation. We are brand new creations in Christ. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That's why one writer said, victory is not me overcoming sin, but victory is Christ overcoming me. Don't you love that? I don't know who said that. I got it written in my Bible. I don't know who said it, but I love it. Victory, write it down if you get a chance. Put it in your iPhone. Victory is not overcoming me, but victory is Christ. As victory is not me overcoming sin, but victory is Christ overcoming me. Some people think that we can be a Christian and not experience a changed life. But the word of God tells us that this is impossible. For God has before ordained that his children will walk holy before him and honor the name of Christ. Doesn't mean we're perfect, but sin will not rule over the child of God. Before we were saved, we were slaves to sin. And there was absolutely no good thing we could do that could please God. But after we were saved, we became slaves to righteousness. We have been given a brand new name and a total change of nature has now taken place. Have you experienced that in your life? A total change of nature has now taken place. And that's why the scriptures teach only those who have been changed, only those who have been made holy, only those who truly have the name of Christ can now walk with Jesus Christ and inherit the kingdom of God. This is why 1 Corinthians, the sixth chapter, verses 9 through 11 says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. That may have been you one day. That was definitely me one day. And such were some of you. But, thanks be to God, we've got a but there. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were made righteous. You were justified. You were declared righteous in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. Amen. Amen. In other words, if you have been given the name of Christ, you are now holy and you are now righteous because you have been washed, you have been sanctified, you have been justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. Church, we need to realize who we are in Christ, that we have been given the name and the privilege of having the name of the Lord, and therefore we are to now live our lives accordingly. Why? Because God's name is worthy to be praised. Amen? Amen. You have been given an awesome privilege and an awesome responsibility. 
carry the name of the Lord faithfully because God's name is worthy to be praised. Amen. Amen. I like that. Amen. (laughs) All right. Let's now go to John, the book of John. Get ready to wrap it up. Book of John, New Testament. Fourth book in the New Testament. John, 17th chapter. And we're just going to look at the sixth verse there. John, the 17th chapter and the sixth verse. And this is our Lord Jesus speaking, or actually praying here. John 17, 6. John 17, 6. And there our Lord Jesus says, I have manifested, I have shown thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine thy were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. So we saw, first of all, that honoring God's name speaks to his glory and righteousness. Then the second thing we saw is that honoring God's name encourages us to live for his glory. And last but not least, honoring God's name points to his glory in Jesus Christ. Honoring God's name points to his glory in Jesus Christ. Now the ultimate fulfillment of the name of the Lord, the ultimate fulfillment of the name of Yahweh is found in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In his high priestly prayer, Here in the 17th chapter of John, again, he said, I have manifested, I have shown thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. And here, he was letting us know that Jesus is the one who revealed the Father. Jesus is the one who showed forth the character of the Father. Jesus is the one who displays the perfections of the Father. That's why Jesus said to Philip, he that hath seen me hath seen the Father. In other words, our Lord Jesus was saying to Philip, you already know what God is like, and you have already seen the Father because you have seen me. And I carried the name of the Lord faithfully and perfectly. And this is because Jesus is none other than Yahweh become human. And this is why Jesus Christ has been exalted and he's worthy of all praise. Let's go to Philippians, the second chapter. Philippians is the middle of the New Testament, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and then Colossians. To get Colossians, you've gone too far. Philippians, the second chapter, let's look at verses uh, 5 through 11. Philippians, the second chapter, verses uh, 5 through 11. And here we see the exaltation of our Lord Jesus. Start with verse 5, it says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him what? A name above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, of things in heaven, and things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Our Lord Jesus has been exalted because he faithfully carried God's name. And right there, he is a perfect example for us. 
This is why it says in the fifth verse, again, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And one thing that really struck me when looking at these scriptures is that what we see is that our Lord Jesus' exaltation came through sacrificial love and it came through suffering. I'm going to say it again. Our Lord Jesus' exaltation came through sacrificial love and it came through suffering. And church, this is a lesson for us. For if we truly want to show forth the name of the Lord, if we truly want to carry his name, then just like Jesus, there are times when we too are going to have to suffer for the glory of God. Anybody been there besides me? 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Yea, and all that would live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Think about it. Anybody can praise the Lord when things are going well. Anybody can thank him when everything's going our way. Anybody can worship him when there are no problems in our life. But when things aren't going well, when nothing seems to be going your way, when you've got all kinds of problems that you're going through, can you still praise the Lord and faithfully carry his name? That's what Paul did. For when Paul talked about his accomplishments, he didn't brag about his accomplishments in the flesh, but instead he bragged about the suffering that he went through. Let's go to the last scripture, kind of the last scripture. but <laughs> Let's go to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, the 11th chapter. 2 Corinthians, right after 1 Corinthians. Uh, if you hit Galatians, you've gone too far. 2 Corinthians, the 11th chapter. Start with verse uh, 23. And here Paul is actually bragging about the suffering that he went through. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three, Are they ministers of Christ? And here he's comparing himself, to some, comparing himself to false ministers. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more, and labor is more abundant, and stripes above measure, and prisons more frequent, and deaths often. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes save one. Thrice or three times was I beaten with rods. Once was I stoned. Three times I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day have I been in the deep, in journeyings often, in perils or in, in danger of waters, in danger of robbers, in danger by my own countrymen, in danger by the heathen, in danger in the city, in danger in the wilderness, in danger in the sea, in danger among false brethren, in weariness, in painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger, in thirst, in fastings often, in cold, in nakedness. Then verse 30. If I must needs glory, I will glory of the things which concern my infirmities or concern my weaknesses. In other words, because of all that Paul had been through, he now knew what it meant to carry the name of the Lord. For he realized it was not about him, but it was all about glorifying the name of the Lord. And church, when we're able to do that, we're able to praise the Lord even in the midst of suffering. That's a powerful, powerful powerful witness to the world of just how awesome, just how mighty, just how glorious, and just how wonderful truly is the name of Jesus. And church, I don't know about you, but that's why I have got to praise his name. 
For the word of God tells us there is forgiveness in his name. The 24th chapter of Luke, Jesus says, repentance and forgiveness of sins should be preached in his name. There is glory in his name. The 14th chapter of John says, and whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. There is fellowship in his name. The 18th chapter of Matthew, Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there will I be in the midst of them. There are blessings in his name. The 19th chapter of Luke says, blessed be the king that cometh in the name of the Lord. There is joy in his name. The 16th chapter of John says, hitherto have you asked nothing in my name. Ask and you shall receive that your joy may be full. There is salvation in his name. The 10th chapter of Romans says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And there is life. In his name, the 20th chapter of John says, but these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, and that believing ye might have life in his name. In other words, everything we need can be found in the name of Jesus Christ. That's why it's such a wonderful name. For church, God's name is worthy to be praised. Amen. God's name is worthy to be praised. Amen. And I think the thunder was agreeing with me as well. (laughs) God's name is worthy to be praised. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, for such a wonderful name in the name of Jesus Christ, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that salvation can be found in your name. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And if there's someone who doesn't know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, I just pray that even right now they might come crying out and call upon your name. And prayerfully they will come to realize that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God's eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Lord, remind us of the awesome privilege as well as the awesome responsibility that we have of carrying your name. And I pray, Lord, as we walk this Christian walk, Lord, that we might remember that we are witnesses, ambassadors, representatives of the almighty God, Lord. And as such, I pray that we might rightly carry your name. I just ask right now, Lord, that you would be with us, Lord, and help us to go forth just preaching and teaching what thus saith the Lord. We thank you and we love you. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen.